Welcome to the C12 Podcast. C12 is a college and young adult ministry where 20-somethings at 12 Stone Church gather on Thursday nights. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. Hey, C12. How's it going? Um, It is so good to be here with you tonight, and um, I I brought some people. Uh, First of all, you're welcome. I provided the drummer for tonight. It was my husband, Steve Rue, on the drums today. I can't take credit for him, but I, I like to. And uh, my kids like me so much, they came to hear me speak tonight. How cool is that? Uh, and I won't ask them to like stand up or anything because I want them to talk to me later. Uh, but they're amazing humans. They are, Caleb and Sydney, they're junior and senior in, at Mill Creek. And uh, so they're like pre-C12. Like they're, they're ramping up for that. But um, it's really amazing to be here with you tonight. I am uh, deeply dedicated to this ministry. We have a small group at our house. And a shout out to my small group. Um, And I have to tell you that um, when Alex, when we were talking about this series, and then specifically, um, what would Jesus undo? That just, that got my mind spinning about a lot of things. And then the topic that the Lord kind of pointed out, I argued with him about. I was like, oh, this is not fun. This isn't like encouraging or, or hope-filled when you first hear the word apathy. What would Jesus undo? Um, apathy. And I, I think that Jesus would undo, I think he would dismantle, pull apart, tear down, demolish apathy in our lives if we allowed him to. And so I want to tell you up front that the first few minutes of this is kind of intense. Honestly, it's a little bit It's a little bit, um, it's really focused, but it's a kind of a downer because I need for you to understand what apathy is. I genuinely believe that there are uh, some of us, I had to check my own heart on this. There are some of us that I think there's some areas in our lives that that maybe apathy um, is trying to creep in. We've been through a lot in the last two years, a lot. And, And I've been listening recently to some podcasts and some research specifically about how uh, the global pandemic and the season that we went through, how it's impacting you specifically, the emerging adults, people stepping up into fullness of their career and their family and their future. And there has been a significant impact. And I think that's why the Lord drew us here tonight to apathy. Um, and so I want to pray if we can, because I think we need to center our hearts a minute. So if you would bow your heads with me, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your wisdom, we need your perspective, we need your guidance. Specifically tonight in this moment, I pray you'd help us to have the courage to hear everything you have to say. Help us to have the discipline to focus, not allow ourselves to get distracted. Help us to keep our hearts open and ready to respond in Jesus' name. All right, we are ready for this. If I encourage you to take notes, I take notes, every message I sit in, um, I think that it becomes this incredible diary of the faithfulness of God that I can go back and encourage myself with, and so I'd encourage you to do that. What would Jesus undo? Apathy. Um, This is a strong statement, but I think it's true. Apathy is a silent disease trying to kill the church, and if you let it, it will kill your faith. There are a lot of threats to faith that we face. There's a, the enemy, you know, we talked about spiritual warfare last week and Satan and his schemes against us. And there's a lot of schemes that he throws at us. Sin is an obvious issue. 
that it comes and tries to destroy, tries to plague our heart and undermine God's work in our lives. Division, oof. We feel so polarized today, our culture. It feels like it's seeping into the church. Um, cultural tension. And it's threatening to just dilute the gospel. Jesus is kind of a polarizing, exclusive person. And in the world that we live in right now, that's not an easy thing to embrace. So there's a temptation to just soften it a little bit, just dilute the gospel a little bit. There's a lot of threats against faith, a lot of threats against church. If we could take time and you could just sit and talk to the person next to you, you could list a couple of things that just came against your faith just today. Things that tried to pop up in your mind, intrusive thoughts, temptation, fear of failure, anxiety, like all these things are coming at us all the time. But I suspect that apathy may be the thing that takes out more people than offense or sin. It's so subtle, you often don't even notice that it's happening. You don't notice that people start slipping away. They're not vocal about it. They don't usually rant about it on social media. Not even always aware of it right away. It quietly infects the heart, and it starts to mute and ultimately nullify the power of the gospel. It's slowly killing hope today. I don't know about you, but it feels like hope is more difficult to, to attain and to stand on. I feel like I'm fighting discouragement way more than I ever have, and I don't think I'm alone, and I'm a pretty optimistic person. There may be even some of you in this room that, that you're literally here tonight because you may be on the brink of something here, and, and God, is he, he's got you here, and you weren't even, didn't feel like coming. You weren't sure why you showed up. Friend told you to come. And this literally may be an opportunity for you to step back from the brink. I wonder if we're in danger of apathy creeping in. But here's the amazing news. I got to unpack a little more of the heaviness, but I need you to hear this. It's never too late with Jesus. Never. You're never too far. You're never too numb. It's never too late. So when we talk about apathy, we need to talk about what it is not because um, as we're going through the course of tonight, I know the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. He's been speaking to me. And I want to point out a few things that can be similar to apathy, and we even see them addressed in Scripture, uh, but they're not the same. One of those things is lack of discipline. So some of you might struggle with that. You know what you should do. You just don't do it. You procrastinate. You put it off. You just don't do it. You have a lack of discipline. That's not the same as apathy. Laziness or complacency is addressed in Scripture. Uh, that's not the same as apathy. It's another issue. It's another struggle that's very real. Weakness, just being weak in faith. Sometimes you've been going after Jesus for a long time and you feel like, man, I feel like I'm not growing. I feel stuck. I'm just weak. Anything happens and I fall apart. That's not the same as apathy. Weariness. Oh, I think we, I think we all resonate with this. Just being exhausted. Not even physically, but like emotionally or in my life, it just feels like the grind never stops and you just get exhausted. And it's a very real condition that God can resolve, but it's not the same as apathy. Depleted, to be depleted, that's not just tired. It's like I got nothing left. The reserves are empty and I'm completely in a vulnerable state. Again, not a great place to be spiritually and some of you may be there. God has an answer for that. 
but it's not the same as apathy. What it is in the English language is the absence or suppression of passion, emotion, or excitement. The absence or suppression of passion, emotion, or excitement. It's a lack of interest in or concern for things that others find moving or exciting. For example, you're in a worship environment. I don't know about y'all, but I was like sweating in worship because it was, it was so powerful. Man, what a declaration of faith that we sang. But I have been in a room before where I see people around me having an experience, and they are just going after God, and they seem so enraptured in the moment, and there is nothing happening inside me. It's kind of numb. Like, I know I, know I should be responding to this. I've responded to this before, and there's, there's nothing happening. That's apathy. A spiritual understanding of apathy would be, the Bible calls it, a heart that has grown cold or love that grows cold. It was there. It was on fire. It was heat. And then it has diminished. It's no longer warm, no longer hot. It's cold. A synonym for apathy is indifference. And a metaphor that I, I hear people use a lot is the sensation of being numb. And, and the thing is about, about numbness in the physical body, it's not actually caused by an absence of feeling. It's actually caused by some kind of trauma or the system has been so overwhelmed that the feeling just disappears. Numbness, and that can actually, that can definitely happen emotionally and it can happen spiritually. It's like your system maxes out so many things keep happening that you just you can't process it anymore and the system no longer works. Essentially, it means you just don't care anymore. I told you this was going to be sad, right? It just, you just don't care anymore. Apathy is not a denial of reality. You see it. You know the reality. You may even acknowledge that this is a problem, but uh, you just don't care at least not enough to do anything to take action. You just, all motivation has been removed. All emotion has been removed. You just don't care. In a marriage, if you reach the point of apathy, you usually don't make it back. People fight like cats and dogs. In marriage, man, it's hard. It's hard. It's amazing. But it's really difficult because you're always trying to come together with this person who just refuses to do everything you say <laughs> and just be just like me, and then we would have peace. And it's this constant thing, but anytime there's conflict, you still care. You can feel literal hatred for someone. You're still in it because you still care. When apathy has set in, it's over. You just don't care. You don't care to fight. You don't care to try to fix it. And spiritual apathy, that's a dangerous, dangerous place for us to be in our walk with Christ. Here's the opposite of apathy. Zeal. That's a biblical word. Zeal is the opposite of apathy. Passion is a word that we use in our language a lot. And we have passion for something. And it's like, this is what I want to do. And this is what gets me up in the morning. And I'm excited. Uh, passion in the Bible, oddly enough, is often used in a negative context. <laughs> It's like passion and lusts. 
things like that. It works for us in our language, but the Bible uses zeal. And it's like the next level of commitment. It is all in. It is, I will give my life. I will sacrifice. I will give up whatever is necessary for this thing, for this person. Fervor is another word that describes the opposite of apathy. And when you hear those words, zeal, fervor, passion, does that describe your walk with Jesus today? That was just a heart check I had to have a moment with the Lord about. Let's look at apathy in scripture. Here's what's interesting. There are not actually a lot of direct references that talk about apathy or indifference. There are some passages that I found that, that refer to it, and I think it's what it's intimating. It's probably what it's talking about. And I want to share a few of those with you. Uh, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation, crazy book. <laughs> it's a crazy book. Prophetic book. Um, there are a whole lot of interesting conversations that we've had about this book. And in Revelation chapter 3, John the Revelator, the guy who wrote this, he's describing seven churches uh, in the future that, that God is calling out and calling them from their sin and calling them back to him. And he's calling them out and naming their sin. And one of those is the, the, he says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, this is in verse 14, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's apathy. Not hot, not cold. I'm not, I'm not hugely in favor of, and I'm not even hugely against. I just don't care. Just lukewarm. Just getting by. In Romans chapter 12, there's a section that Paul writes. I love this section of scripture. He actually is talking about love in action. He's saying, you say that you love, you want to know what love looks like. Here's what love actually looks like. And he lays it out. I mean, you could study it for days. It has tons of information. It's a rich passage. And in the middle of that passage, when he's saying, this is what love in action looks like, he makes this reference uh, starting in verse 9. Here's a couple of things he says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Then in verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And he goes on to list a whole bunch of other things to do. And that was the caution. He's at all these lists of things to do, but he's like, never be lacking in zeal. That's apathy. Remember, that's the antonym of apathy, of indifference is zeal. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. There's another prophetic reference in Ezekiel 16. This is kind of an interesting story, and I second-guessed telling you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Prophecy is interesting and kind of creepy sometimes. Ezekiel was a prophet, uh, not a super happy guy. He had a really tough job. The Old Testament prophets had a really difficult job. They were sent as messengers to the people of Israel, and it was never good news. It was always... You need to get your act together or God is going to smite you. It was always that. It was really tough. And in Ezekiel chapter 16, the prophet, he's calling out Jerusalem yet again. Jerusalem was the main city where God's temple was, where that was like headquarters for the people of Israel. He's calling them out and saying, you have become so corrupt. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah? If you've ever heard of that Old Testament, there's two cities that God destroyed by fire, just literally incinerated them because they were so full of wickedness. 
So here's Ezekiel, and he's calling out Jerusalem, and he's saying, you are so corrupt, and you have become so evil. You're like a woman who has prostituted herself. You could have been a queen, but you've become a whore. And your sister is Sodom. That's mean. And when he's talking to them, in verse 49, he says, now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. When I read that, I was like, that's apathy. Arrogant, because pride says, I don't need you. Overfed, because in order to have apathy, you had to have experienced love and passion and the the salvation of God. You had to have experienced his presence in order to become apathetic about it. If you've never experienced it and you've never been in his presence, you can't not care because you just never had it. Some of you in this room, you're not there yet. You're still on this journey of exploring what it means to follow Jesus. These people were arrogant. I don't need you, God. I'm doing this my own way. Overfed. God had blessed them and given them everything they could ever have imagined. He kept them alive and unconcerned. They didn't help the poor or needy. They only looked out for themselves. And then in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking here, and he says, because of the increase of wickedness, and what he's doing is they asked him a question, like, God, how are we, Jesus, how are we going to know when the end of the world is coming? Because they knew there's going to be a point where all of this was going to end. And Jesus gives them some signs to look for, and one of those is he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Not the love of some, not the love of the wicked. The love of most will grow cold. That, that chills me. I don't want to be that. However, what is really profound to me and just brought life into this is I was studying this and feeling the heaviness and the weight of it. And then I started to look at the abundance of scriptures that talk about zeal and passion for the Lord and fervor. There are dozens and dozens of scriptures that address that and call us to a place that identifies someone who is a person, a man or woman of zeal, and calls us to a place of zeal and passion and fervor. And we're going to get to those in a few minutes. Let's talk a little bit about how this affects us right now. Because If we're looking at the concept or the idea of what would Jesus undo, Alex feels led, he feels led to set you up this fall to start to examine what is God calling you to, not just you as an individual, but you as the church. So before we say yes to God and his plan and his purpose for us, we might need to take a minute to examine our own hearts and say, Jesus, what would you undo? Is there anything that's in the way? of me fulfilling the calling and the purpose that you have for me as an individual and within the church. Guys, the church is so desperately needed in the world today. She always has been. But there is such a lack of hope. You know this. You sit in classes or you go to work with these people and there is is such discouragement. There's such fear. What's going to happen with the economy? Like everything... I can't even afford to go to work anymore. I can't get the gas to get there. Like, things are so uncertain. And this is running through the minds of every single person you encounter every day, including yours. 
And if we're going to face that and carry the hope of Christ, we need to ask Jesus to dismantle apathy in our lives. If there is any trace of this, God, may you root it out. Apathy in the church is often just very quiet disobedience. It's not belligerent. It's not in your face. It's not, I refuse to do that and don't tell me what to do. It's not even that. It just quietly slips away and doesn't do anything. Peter Marshall wrote this quote. He said, a different world cannot be built by indifferent people. How many of you in this room, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you want a different world, a better world? That's me. I, this is not great. <laughs> it's not terrible, but there's a lot going on. I want a different world. I want God to touch the lives of people. I want to see people that are full of joy and full of hope and full of the peace of God. I want to live in that world, don't you? A different world can't be built by indifferent people. If we just all sit and wait for someone else to do it, if we wait for the person on the stage to fix everybody, we're all in huge trouble. That is a form of apathy. Ah, somebody else will take care of it. It's, it's exempting yourself from being a part of the solution. And if I remember correctly, Jesus called every single one of us in Matthew 28, and he said, go and make disciples. Go tell my story to the whole world. He didn't say, tithe to your church so that the guy in the front will do it. It's on us. But a different world is not going to happen with indifferent people. If we're waiting for someone else to do it, if you're waiting to become more qualified, it's never going to happen. We're going to miss opportunities. God loves to use imperfect people. He majors in using people who look completely unqualified to do it. It's his favorite thing to do. Have you read the Bible? I'd encourage you to read it. It's a whole bunch of stories collected of people that were nobodies. They were the least expected, the least anticipated, the most reluctant people. And God called them and he picked them up and he said, I'm going to ask you to do great things. And I'm going to get the glory because you're not great. I am. That's us. That means we're all included. But if you are indifferent... If you wait until you achieve a certain thing, until you get your degree, if you wait until you have the career you want, or you wait until, oh, I, once I'm married, I'll focus on that, we don't know how much time we have. Who's slipping by? And how much apathy is creeping in as you make excuses about making forward movement? How, how many times are you running the risk of apathy creeping in to your life when you're like, well, I'll get to it? This is a quote, too, that kind of shakes me a little bit. Vance Havner, he said, people get so used to the dark that they think it's growing brighter. You think about when you walk into a pitch. I don't know if you've ever walked into this room. Alex, you walked into this room and no lights are on and the door shuts. It is really terrifying in here. I know it's a church. A church is a freaky place to be when it's pitch black. I'm a pastor's kid, and I grew up in the church, and I remember a couple times they didn't know I was in the room still and shut the lights off, and I lost my mind. <laughs> I was terrified. I didn't know. If I just sit here for a couple minutes, my eyes will adjust, and my pupils will open, and then I'll be able to see, and I can walk out of here. I don't want that to happen to me spiritually. I just sit in the dark. I just sit with all the toxicity 
and the, the people who are angry and indifferent around me, I just sit there and it's like, oh, this is, sucks. I hate it. I don't want to be in here. Eventually, oh, it's not so bad. I can see in here. I can adapt. I can live in this. I don't want to get that. I don't want you to get there. Let's talk about apathy in a generation. Um, I'm not, when I say generation, I'm not referring to the sociological thing that I think is really interesting, actually, with like some, you, a lot of you are Gen Z, there's some millennials in the room, Gen X, Steve and I are Gen X. Uh, you know, like, I'm not talking about that. When we talk, especially in scripture, when it talks about a generation, it's referring to all the people who are alive right now. So we're all in the same generation. We are in this generation. God has entrusted this season to us. He gave us a global pandemic. Thanks, Lord. <laughs> Thanks. I have a good friend. She lives in Texas. They went through crazy storms down there and all this stuff. And she was like, I'm just tired of living through global events. <laughs> I just don't want any more. I get that. Here's the thing. God trusted us with it. You're not here by accident. He has known every day of your life. He counts every hair that is on your head and knew that you would be here in this place. You would be in your school, in your community, in your family at this moment in time. There is a reason. But if our generation becomes apathetic, because we feel disempowered, because we feel frustrated, because we feel like we're not being heard, who's going to change it if we're just waiting for someone else to do it? God's people should care the most intensely of anyone. We shouldn't be crazy. We don't need more crazy. But we should be so intentional to care about things that really matter to the heart of God. We don't just carry passion for a cause. We're not about the cause. I want to be about the king. And whatever thing he says is important, that's what I'm about. Jesus was so passionate. He was so zealous that he subjected himself to torture, cruelty, and a violent death. That is zeal that, that I don't think we can match. But he's our example. So we're called to be marked by zeal, by passion. Dr. Martin Luther King said this. He said, he who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetrate it. He who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. I think that is very true. There are a lot of crazy things happening in the world around us and our silence um, is our agreement. That's hard. And honestly, for those of you that are Gen Z, millennials, we've handed you a pile of really difficult situations. We haven't left. We're still here. That's why we're here in this ministry is to be available, to be a resource. We don't have it all figured out. But we've seen some stuff, and we've gone through some stuff. When we were singing the song about he's too good to not believe, I was like, I have seen that. I have seen that. I have seen that. And I know for a bunch of you, you're like, I've never seen those things happen. You're just young. Give it time. We can't afford apathy in our generation. We can't, we can't passively just sit by in the church and go, man, this church is not great. I've been hurt by the church. I've had leaders that let me down. I've had people that called themselves Christians. They didn't treat me well. What are we going to do about that? 
because we're the church. You're the church. So if you're mad at the church, you're mad at yourself. You're here. This is for us to resolve together. It's not for us to wait. And I say, I really hope they get their act together. I hope, I hope Pastor Jason or Pastor Kevin, like, they set that person straight. I hope they do too, honestly. But what if they don't? What are we waiting for? So let's talk for a second as we start to get toward the end of this. Um, and I can't wait to get to the hope. It's coming. What causes apathy? There's a lot. Honestly, there's a lot of things that can lead to apathy. But there's something that, there's a progression that the Lord showed me as I was praying about this. And it starts with repeated disappointment. Repeated disappointment leads to discouragement. And disappointment can be triggered by so many things. Striving for success, but failing. Um, a big plan falling through. Betrayal, trauma, loss, death, humiliation. Disappointment can be caused by so many large and small things. And when they start to pile up on you, it leads to discouragement. It leads to a state of... I don't know if I can do this. Nothing's going right. We get tunnel vision when we're discouraged. We get tunnel vision, and the only thing we can see is the, is the thing that is causing the discouragement, and we lose our focus on God. We lose connection with him. And then the next, when that goes un, unresolved, prolonged discouragement leads to disillusionment. We all experience disappointments, and feeling discouragement, that's a natural response. When something doesn't go well and you feel disappointed, to get discouraged about that is not bad. That's a human response. That's an emotion. It's your, it's your psyche dealing with the thing. But prolonged discouragement with no healing, in between those disappointments, if there's no healing, if there's no resolve from the Lord, if there's no restoration, if there's no comfort from the Lord, if you don't experience him in between those disappointments, you become disillusioned. And the state of discouragement doesn't lift. It just intensifies, and it becomes disillusionment. And now I can't really see forward. I can't see past this. And now the lies that the enemy has been pelting me with, they, they, they make sense, actually. And you become disillusioned. The thing that you thought you could see it, it's just not, it's not clear anymore. And guys, here's what I need you to hear. Unchecked disillusionment. If you are in the room right now, please remember this. Unchecked disillusionment is what leads to apathy. You got to step in the way of that disillusionment. And if you can't, you need to find somebody who can. Over time, disillusionment starts to, apathy starts to make you feel immune to the things of God. It's like, man, I'm going back, I, I, and I, I have been here. I'm reading my Bible. Alex keeps saying that. You got to be in the Word. Okay, well, I keep reading it. Nothing is happening. I'm praying. I talked to God the whole way home today. I, I feel like my prayers just hit the ceiling of my car and fall to the ground. I don't, I don't feel like anything is happening here. We feel like immune like it just, it's not connecting anymore. When discouragement 
and disillusionment begin to take over. Man, it's a dark place to be. And this handicaps the church. Because a room with 20%, 30%, 40%, I don't know, with, of apathetic people, people who have become indifferent, they still come to church. They still come to church. There's, this is what I do. There's a whole bunch of reasons why they still do for a while. The church is then handicapped and, and can't respond the way that she needs to because there are a whole bunch of people that are numb and, and aren't moving body parts. Remember, we're all one body with different parts and different purposes. And when parts go numb, the whole body is disabled and is not able to function. Here's the answer. Thank you, Jesus. Here's the answer. We got to wake up. You get sleepy when you're apathetic. Spiritually, emotionally, you get sleepy. You get unfocused. Wake up, face it, and talk about it. You got to get with somebody and talk about it. Don't keep it to yourself. And then there's this thing that happens, and this is, this is weird, kind of difficult for me to explain. There's this dance between discipline and desire. Because if you're going to go, okay, I'm not going to let apathy set in. I'm going to try to arrest this. I want God to do a thing in me. There's a, there's a dance between discipline and desire. And we all fluctuate between those two things in our walk with Jesus. Some of us are very discipline prone. Like I know people that are just really, they're list makers and they have a routine for everything. And this is the way I always do the dishes. And this is the way I get in and out of my car every single time. They're like very highly disciplined people. And, and that's just the way they're wired. I'm not that. I wish I was. I've learned to have some discipline, but I'm not that. Then there's other people who really struggle with discipline, but they have so much desire. They are like passionate and want to do everything and get up every day and conquer the world. And they want to go after stuff and they love everybody. And they, right? Like we all have some level of these two things. And these things are both necessary for us in our walk with Jesus, discipline and desire. And there's this dance that happens between the two. Because we don't ever get it 50-50 or 100-100. We don't ever get that. It's always going to be fluctuating because of our human nature. When it comes to a relationship with God, here's here's an observation that I think rings pretty true. If you have high discipline plus no desire or low desire, you end up with legalism. In your walk with Jesus, you're like, I'm still reading my Bible. I'm still doing this stuff. There is no heart connection. It's transactional. It's a transactional relationship with God. It doesn't feel good. There's no zeal. Like the zeal isn't going to come from that place when it's all discipline. It's kind of performance-based salvation. And we all know how that goes. There's books about it in the Bible. It's a struggle. It's real. High discipline, low desire leads to legalism. High desire oh God, I love you, you're the best thing ever. I want to follow God. I'm gonna go to Africa. I'm gonna change the world. I'm gonna start a nonprofit. I'm like, you got all kinds of passion for God, but no discipline leads to shallow connection. And every time a storm comes, you get knocked on your behind because you have no discipline. There's There's no depth of the word. There's no deep prayer connection with God, right? We gotta balance those things out. That doesn't lead to zeal. You're going to flip-flop up and down, and people are going to be like, I was kind of this in high school. (laughs) 
My friends got used to it. I would party and be an idiot, and then I would go to camp, and like God would shake me up, and I would get on my face. I'm like, I'm so sorry, God. I want to live for you. And I was, then I was on a high spiritually, and I'm like telling my friends, you should come to church with me. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we heard that a year ago too. And I was just, that was just me. There was no zeal. It didn't, it didn't hold true. And then if you have high desire and high discipline, this is what we're shooting for. That's resilient faith in Jesus and zeal for God. It will lead to that. It will lead to that. Don't settle for anything less than intimacy. That's number three. Don't settle for anything less than intimacy. And for some of you that may be new in your faith, this is still something you're learning. And that's okay. We want to walk with you in that. If you haven't experienced that yet, don't give up. Continue with the discipline and the desire and keep doing the things, and that's going to come. Finally, to deal with, with the apathy, you got to get close to someone who's zealous for God because it's contagious. And you know those people. I think we all need to have all kinds of friends that are from different or at different spiritual places in their life, but you got to have people in your life that are on fire. for They are zealous for God. They are passionate for God. Because especially if you sense any apathy in you, you need to spend time with them. You just be around them, and it kind of radiates off their life, and it will begin to influence you. And they will encourage you. In Philippians chapter 3, this was Paul's response He spends uh, several verses before this. He's talking about all the religious things that he's done. There's all the discipline side because he was like really admired in the Jewish church. And he's listing off all these things that he's achieved, his education and all the, the religious rites that he completed. And in verse 7 he says, I once thought these things were valuable. Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, all the discipline through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to know Christ. If you want to guard against apathy, you must know Christ. In Mark 12, 30, this is, Jesus sums it up. This is the capstone verse. They're asking him, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And he says, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all that you know this, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. If you look at each of those four components, the heart, your emotions, the mind, your intellect, your thought life, your soul, that's your personhood, the deep inner being of who you are, and your strength, your physical body, your outward focus. Jesus would give anything to undo the poison of apathy in your life and in his church. Wait, he already did. He gave everything so that we don't have to get stuck in the place of being numb and not caring 
He knows we're overwhelmed. He knows we get overwhelmed. He knows we get disappointed and discouraged. And he gave everything to give you a way out. And the answer is to know him, is to be in union with Christ. That's the answer. So simple, not always easy to do. We're going to do something a little different. We're only going to take a few minutes to do this. But I want you to talk to one other person. Um, If there's like someone that's left out, then you can do three at the most. But talk to one other person. I want you to answer this question. Are you at risk of falling into apathy in your faith? Are you at risk? If so, how did you get there? And if that's not you, first of all, celebrate that. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know someone who is apathetic, who appears to be apathetic, and what could you do for them? So I want you to literally take the time right now. You're going to turn and talk to each other right now. Get right to it. Get honest. Get raw right away. Go into that discussion and just assess, is there any area that that this is present in my life? We'll give you a few minutes, and then um, Alex will hop back up and take us to the next thing.
want to transition a little bit in the room, and some of you guys are already kind of doing this, <laughs> praying over each other in that lane, and be one thing to talk about apathy, and you have conversations about it with somebody, and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm at risk. I'm at risk of maybe being someone who's apathetic. I'm, there's people I know that, man, I just, I want to be praying over them specifically tonight. Maybe it's people that you know, your friends, people in your family. Maybe it's people personally. It's your own parents, brothers and sisters that, like, man, they, they, they used to know God so intimately. They used to be on so fire for him, and I don't know what happened. I mean, one thing to, you know, we, we talk about in the room, but I'm going to kind of lead into a guided moment of just of praying over those very things that you guys talked about. I just want to encourage you. I want you to stand in this room right now. We're going to jump back into worship, and we're just going to camp out in prayer for a couple minutes. And I just want to pray over you, and, and I think what would make it even more powerful if, if you began to pray. Prayer is not powerful because you just hear me pray over you on stage. Prayer is powerful because you engage with prayer yourself. And when you engage with prayer yourself, you're making it personal, and that's when prayer becomes powerful is when it becomes personal to you. So when we pray and we ask, hey, God, would you show up in our circumstances? When we pray and we ask that, hey, God, would you remove the apathy from my life? When we're asking God to bring a revival, we don't ask God to bring a revival to something that's already alive. We're asking God to bring a revival to something that feels like it's currently dead in us. That's why we pray and we ask for revival because we know that the condition of what we're trying to ask God to bring and bring life to is currently dead. And so when we pray, God, would you come and would you have your kingdom come, your will be done. It's asking, it's a revival prayer, asking what's currently going around in heaven, God, I hope that that's true in me. And maybe you feel like you're in this room and you're like, man, I just attend C12 every week and I don't feel like I'm spiritually on fire. I don't feel like I have a purpose. I don't feel like I have an identity. I feel like I just struggle with the same stuff. I feel like I just go through the motions and I just have the same old habitual sin. I just feel like I'm just the, the church Christian and one who just shows up on Sunday and Thursday. And maybe tonight through prayer, God would want to call you to more. Maybe it just becomes personal to you in this moment that God would want to meet you right where you're at. And maybe if you're honest with yourself, you're like, I just need a little bit of a spiritual CPR. In order to have zeal, maybe God just has to, okay, we gotta shock some things back into life. We gotta shock some things back into existence. Man, the way you used to pray, hey, you can, you, you can get back to that. The way you used to share your faith with others, hey, you can get back to that. Maybe tonight God would want to call you back to the place where you felt like you knew that I was so hungry for God, I was so on fire for Him, and that wasn't the limit. It was only a taste in what you can continuously do because of Him. And so I just want to lead into a guided prayer moment. If you're in college, go ahead and raise your hand. GGC, UNG, Gwinnett Tech, around the area, keep, keep, keep your hands up. I want to go into a guided prayer moment. Look around the room, you see their hands raised and, and, uh, and you know that, hey, we're a family. At C12, we are a ministry that is a family and we really believe in the power of prayer. We believe in hands-on prayer and we believe in hands-up prayer. I just want you to look around the room and see the hands raised. And if you're a young professional in the room, you're, you're 23, 24, 25, 26, and I want you to just go find someone around you has got their hand raised, go ahead and lay a hand on them. And we wanna pray over you. If you're in college and, and, and as I begin to pray, I want you, I want you in this room, I want you to begin to pray. 
that maybe there's areas that, hey, God is calling you to be on your campus as a college student to go and to carry the commission of the gospel and reach other people that you don't feel like God, that, that, that God could really encounter. You feel like they're just too far gone, but man, maybe God would want to use you. So as I begin to pray, I want you to pray. I want to hear the, 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 the voices of prayer in this room. And so God, we just lean in, God, to those that are, that are God in college. And as I pray, you begin to pray your own prayer. Pray against apathy. Apathy is a temptation. It's a temptation to coast. It's a temptation to just say, you know what? Whatever is good is good enough. And so, God, I just specifically pray, God, over those that are in school right now, that are freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors. God, I pray specifically those at GGC's campus. God, we ask, God, for a revival on that campus. We'd ask that you'd use people, God, who go to GGC in this ministry, God, to go and to be the light and the hope of Jesus. That fear wouldn't hold them back. Apathy wouldn't hold them back. But God, when the fire of, of, of your Holy Spirit is in us, God, we just can't contain it. We get overwhelmed by who you are. And so God, I specifically pray, God, for those that are in school, they're struggling to find purpose and they're struggling to find identity. God, would you encourage them tonight? You've given them a calling in this season. It's to represent you wherever they go on their campus. God, would you do immeasurably more in and through them? God, I pray as they serve you, God, that they, you would reveal the specific purpose that, God, you have for their life. God, I specifically pray, God, over those that are in school. God, they feel like they can't be used yet. They feel like I have to wait till I graduate. I have to wait until I'm in my job. I have to wait till a certain destination. And God, as Annette spoke, God, we, we are the generation. And God, I pray that you'd use this ministry. God, you'd use C12 to break the chains of apathy. And God, would you do it in us? switch gears again. You keep the attitude of prayer, you're right where you're at. I want you to raise your hand. If you're a young professional in the room, maybe you're 24, 25, 26, hey, go ahead, raise your hand, nice, high, and proud. Maybe you're married in this room, you're engaged, keep raising your hand. I'm going to do the same. Maybe for those that just got prayed over, hey, go find someone around you has got their hand raised, go lay hands on them. I want to pray over you young professional, young adults in the room. I get the challenge and get the struggle. It feels like my job is just a complacent job. I'm working something that maybe you don't want to work and maybe God will want to use you in this season right where you're at. So let's begin to pray. And as I'm praying, you begin to pray. And so God, we just ask God that you would move in this room. God, would you move in this room tonight? God, would you move in our hearts? 
And God, I specifically pray, God, over those that are young professionals and young adults. God, would you use them in their workplace? God, would you equip them? And God, would you encourage them and empower them, God, to be a witness wherever they go? God, we, 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 we can't pretend like we don't know what's on the line. God, we know what's on the line. God, we know that there's a heaven and a hell. God, we know that earth is not our home, but God, you want us to reach those that are around us. And so God, maybe you just want to awaken us to the reality, God, that there are people who don't know Jesus and God, that should break our hearts. God, I pray just against apathy, God, for those that are young professionals in this room that God, maybe just feel like I just go back to work and I do the same thing and I do the same job. But God, maybe in this next season, God, would you reestablish maybe a new vision when they go into the workplace? God, they're not, not, not mad at their boss and mad at their coworkers, but God, maybe the people that they're mad at becomes their prayer request. And God, they'd be praying over the people, God, that maybe they have a hard time with. And God, you would want to use them right where they're at. God, I pray that you would continuously use people, young adults in this room, could go be the hands and feet of Jesus in Gwinnett County. God, you've always had your hand on C12. You've had a a unique favor. And God, I believe you're not done. You're in the business of doing the same things. You're in the business of of healing broken bodies. You're in the the business of seeing mental health restored. You're in the business, God, of, 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 of doing immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I pray tonight, God, would you meet people right where they're at? God, would you remind them? God, would you encourage them? You're the same God. So God, I pray you'd break chains of apathy. You'd break chains of disbelief. And so God, we just ask, God, your kingdom come. That's what we ask for, God. We want heaven to meet this room. So God, we just pray these things in your name. So C12, let's worship. Come on, we can celebrate what God's doing in this room. We can celebrate. Hey, God's not done. Maybe you came tonight and you just need the reminder that, hey, God wants to use you. God wants to empower you. God wants to remind you of the power that has always been in you because of the Holy Spirit. So let's worship well, C12. Let's honor God with our words and let's give him our worship. Let's ask that God would come and meet you in this moment. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. To stay connected with C12, make sure to follow us on Instagram at C12stuff. One of the best ways to get connected with others and grow in your relationship with God is jumping into a small group. To sign up for small groups, go to 12stone.com slash small groups and search college. We hope to see you next week.